everybody thinks that where they live is tough. And I think there are aspects of, of every place that are tough, yeah, you know, that can absolutely. be tough. But I also come from the camp that like, if you live there, you ain't got no excuses. You, should, you got plenty of time to figure it out. When, you, when you're learn, in that learning phase that we're talking about, when you're in that, write stuff down. Figure out a way to retain that information. And there will be a stage, I believe. I mean, we're obviously always learning. Still keep doing that. But there will be a point when the writing down things, you're not doing nearly as much of that because you're having success in the places that you're going to. There are times where you go in, you get lucky, nobody's found the spot or nobody's hunting the spot. There's not any pressure there and you found it. And the deer do what deer do. I think if you can find those spots like that, I don't know what yours is. Your thing might be different than my thing. There's different tactics, but I think it can, It like you said, it works across the country with minor differences. Confidence has a lot to do with being successful in anything, but especially in hunting. And it goes up even more when you're talking about bow hunting because there's a, a different physicality to that. When you start talking about not being a good deer hunter and owning it up, you start believing that, it actually translates into having less success. You're self-defeating. Hey guys, welcome to 2024. Thank you for all the years of support. Been at this a long time and uh, appreciate you sticking with me. And if you're a new listener, thank you for tuning in. If you could help me out by going to iTunes or Spotify and leaving us a review, I really appreciate it. It helps me keep this free. Speaking of keeping this free, check out Phoenix Shooting Bags. Use promo code John Stallone to save 20% on everything that they have. And lastly, if you could, do yourself a favor, help protect hunting, help protect your heritage, and get involved with Howl for Wildlife. That's Howl, H-O-W-L, for wildlife.org. Go check it out, get involved. Without further ado, let's jump into this episode. So in this episode, I was asked to collaborate with a fellow podcaster beyond their show. So I decided to repackage it and air it on my show to share that information with you guys. So check it out. Check out uh, these guys' podcast. Thanks. All right, everybody. We are here with a guy that I hope by the end of this, we can certify he isn't mental. Uh, (laughs) My fear is going into this. I'm a little worried about his mindset because this is a gentleman who has driven past probably every pristine place in the country to come to Florida and hunt the smallest deer you could probably imagine in the United States at this point. Uh, you guys probably know him from a variety of different outlets, but John Stallone, dude, I appreciate you uh, coming on, man. I know uh, I bungled the the calendar invite, so we were we were threading the needle on getting you on, man. But I appreciate you hustling <laughs> to come. <laughs> no come problem. Talk to us. No problem. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. So I don't think they're the smallest deer. I hunt coos deer in Arizona, so they're pretty much the same. <laughs> We've never done that, yeah. so I don't know yeah. even what the comparison would be there. Are they they're, pretty? They're are literally they like the same. Sub hundred pounds. Yeah. Well, depending on what part of the state you hunt them in, if you're hunting the desert, a big buck during the rut is going to be like 115, 120 pounds. That sounds like Walt's, a doe. Walt's doe is record. like ninety. That's his PR. Yeah. <laughs> That was going to be like 90, like 90 pounds or so. But if you okay. hunted like the central part of the state and you're hunting the mountain deer, you know, you'll see 130, 140. It's not that's a, a big, that's I'm, a big deer for me. Yeah. Giant. I mean, honestly, it, I, it's not like abnormally small for a lot of bucks that no. I are mean, throughout the Southeast. I mean, there are bigger deer, don't sure. get me wrong in the yeah. Southeast, but I mean, I've killed bucks that I thought, yeah. you know, 
two and a half, three and a half year old deer that were 130 pounds. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, it's not, it's definitely not uncommon. I've, I've hunted all over the, uh, the Southeast. Yeah. Georgia, yeah. Georgia, Alabama, South Carolina. So, John, I know we're talking a lot about Florida in this particular podcast, mm-hmm. but before we get into like all the Florida, I, I mean, I, I'm not going to say mumbo jumbo because I think if, if somebody can draw something out of a Florida podcast, you know what I mean? Like yeah. Florida to me is like the pinnacle of hard when it comes to deer hunting. And I think anybody in the United States, if they would learn something about hunting Florida, they probably can apply it somewhere else and it's going to be great. But I'm, before we get into all the Florida stuff, I want to know, you said you've hunted all over the Southeast. Yep. I want to know which state you enjoyed the least. Man, that's kind of a loaded question. <laughs> uh, well, the it, easy it, one it, would it, be it, which one did you enjoy the best, but then that could be kind of hot spot and, you know, people could call it one thing or another. So which one are you like, this one really sucked? I mean, to be honest with you, Florida was probably the worst out of all. Heck yeah. But I've been there several times. <laughs> and, and the only reason why I say it was the worst was because of the bug situation the actual <laughs> hunting part wasn't the worst i've had plenty of success in florida i just shit that last time i was there i thought i was going to get carried off by the mosquitoes it was the first time i ever hunted in october there that was brutal absolutely was it the brutal. last time you hunted in october there well i would that was just <laughs> that was literally the, yeah, i probably would do it again we're because my my sister-in-law lives in uh delray beach so I go to South Florida pretty often. I've hunted iguanas there. I've fished there. I've hunted hogs. And uh, I haven't done any gator hunting or anything like that. But I've hunted white-tailed deer quite a bit. So, yeah. You know, John, sorry, Walt. I'm, I'm, you, you keep looking like go you're going to say it, something. But, I, but I've, got, I've, got, I've got a lot. I've just got a lot, <laughs> a lot on my chest right now that I need to get off. Um <laughs> We talk about Florida being hard, and you you mentioned that it's a tough state. I was editing um, a few minutes ago, or a, a few days ago, pardon me, mm-hmm. and uh, I was editing a, a video, a turkey hunt from Florida. It was the first day of that trip, and we were actually just scouting. And on that short little walk, I saw like six different species of mammal, like mm-hmm. of, of wildlife, you know, more so than just like, yep. I'm talking more than just like birds, you know, like like actual animals walking around, you know, there were deer, there were turkeys. I saw some otters. I saw a gator. Mm-hmm. Uh, I ran off a hog. So I guess it was five. Yeah. So I saw five and that was like a, like a quarter mile walks, Florida. Yeah. You mentioned of, all those different species. There's a lot to do there. There's a there lot is. of stuff there. It's just, of, you know, some of the big game in. stuff can be tough. Yeah. It, it's tough hunting and to be fair, and I don't want to take anything away from, what you guys were saying, but everywhere I've ever hunted, everybody thinks it's the hardest hunting in the country, including myself. I'll tell you that who's there the hardest <laughs> thing to hunt. Um, but having hunted pretty much, I mean, the majority of the United States, I haven't been to every state, but I've been to every region and I've hunted every subspecies of deer. Uh, in the United States, Florida is definitely up there. It is, it is a tough place to hunt. It takes a special mental fortitude. You know, you got to have some grit, I guess, to do it because it's not easy. I would just, you know, just like I said, hell, I think in October and in one sit, I got bit like 
200 times. I thought I was going to get Zika virus or some shit, man. I was like, <laughs> I was waiting for them to carry me away. They were biting me through my Merino. And, um, yeah, it was, it was pretty brutal. And I was hunting right on the edge of a swamp and I kept, there was a gator that kept coming up, poking his eyes out of the water, like 50 yards from my stand. <laughs> it was pretty, pretty intense. You said that about every hunter thinks that where they hunt is the hardest place. Mm -hmm. And that was the reason I asked you that question. I, and I, I wanted to ask it out in front of Walt. Walt is from Florida, right? It's hard every because I agree with you. Every as a podcast host, we know this that everybody thinks that where they live is tough. And I think there are aspects of of mm -hmm. every place that are tough. Yeah, you know that can absolutely. be tough. And but I also come from the camp that like if you live there, you ain't got no excuses. You know what I mean? You like, should be able to figure it out. Yeah, <laughs> you should. You got plenty of time to figure it out. You know, yeah. and that's that's kind of where like. I wish people would let other people talk about how hard their state is. Like kind of like you and I, I'm not from Florida. Mm -hmm. I'm from, I live in Alabama. I'm not from there, but I have hunted there. And I tend to agree with you. I think when it comes down to everything, every mm. part of the hunt from the elements, sometimes not necessarily terrain, but water is basically your terrain barrier in Florida. Oh yeah. <laughs> water the, the, the elements. Lack, the lack of terrain. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and to be able to like, if you can walk through that swamp, you know, on, on dry, there's only, there's limited dry land. And that's probably where all the other critters that want to bite you are at too, or on that dry land, you know, yeah. they're not yeah. deep down in the water. And so you gotta, like, it's a tough place to navigate. And, and, and the reason I, I asked that to kind of set this whole thing up is because I know we're going to talk about some of your experiences and some of the things that you learn about hunting in Florida and especially guys who are living in Florida right now, if you have the time and ability to to put some of these in, in place, mm -hmm. man, like some of these things that you talk about, you know, you mentioned you've had success. I know Walter's had plenty of success in Florida. And I think between the two of you guys, for sure, this podcast, somebody ought to learn something about hunting in Florida. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> not, for, not for that's me. The, <laughs> listen to John. That's the goal. Yeah, that's the goal. I, I think, I think it's interesting because having grown up, I was born in Florida Grew up in Southeast Georgia, very similar terrain. Mm -hmm. um, Florida is still different in a lot of ways. And what, what you two just said is very true. And I take it as a personal affront given I don't kill deer consistently in Florida and I live here. But it's one of those things where I think it's just a different skill set that the tools aren't there for, right? So like if you want to kill deer in, in Iowa mm -hmm. or Ohio or coos deer, even frankly, there's a lot of resources to go and learn and study. Whereas creating content in Florida sucks. John, mm -hmm. you probably know this yeah. as well as anybody on this podcast. And uh, it's really hard visually to also make it make sense. You know, if you're, if you're hunting mountain country, uh, whitetail and it's like, well, find your saddle and your point, your North facing slopes. Like there's all this like visual stuff that you can sit at home and immediately narrow down an area. Whereas a Florida swamp, uh, until very recently and in, in like the monthly imagery that kind of distinguishes between trees and understory, you you just have to walk the whole dadgum thing to find right. what it is that you're looking for. Yep. And I think that is combine that with the humidity and the heat and everything biting you. I think it's just a different skill set. There's like a, 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 a mental willpower to keep going that you mm -hmm. almost have to have. I don't know that the hunting itself is any harder. I just think it's not intuitive. Yeah. I don't know if that's making any sense what I'm trying to convey, or if you even agree, John. No, I do actually. I agree. I think the thing with Florida and really a lot of the Southeast states, really just the East Coast in general, is 
the lack of places to hunt. So like one, one of the things that, you know, living out West, like, well, I live in a state that has like 75% public land. Okay. So mm-hmm. even though there's 7 million people who let live here, which is a lot for Western state, you know, Florida's got a crap ton of people, right? Um, it's a big state, but there's a crap ton of people and there is, you know, WMAs, there is, you know, public land and stuff like that. Actually finding a place to hunt is going to be one of the biggest limiting factors before you even get into how am I going to scout this? How am I going to find a spot to hang a stand or how am I going to hunt it? You know, so that in itself is a challenge. Now I've hunted both public land and private land in, in Florida and I've had success on both. I just, uh, I think I'd rather hunt private land there, to be honest with you. Not and and not because it was any harder or the, or the quality of the deer. I don't know. I just felt like my time is limited and mm-hmm. it just stacks a little bit more odds in my favor. You know, I, I live my seasons like five, sometimes I'm lucky, seven, nine days at a time. But you know, you go into a season, oh yeah, it might be two months long, but you know, traveling out of state to go hunt. I'm only going to be there for five days. Yeah. I'm only going to be there for seven days, but you know, two travel days or whatever on either either end. So I have a very short amount of time to figure things out. You know, I try to do as much as I possibly can from the house. You know, with the cyber scouting and whatever, talking to people. But I also try to incorporate my past experiences and being, you know, a guy that hunts everything everywhere. I've learned to like pick up things with animals in general that, you know, help me be successful. So I forgot where I was going with this, (laughs) but basically what I'm getting at is identifying what your challenges are and then figuring out what the solutions are to those challenges is going to help you narrow down, you know, your best Mm -hmm. plan of action. So that is a unique thing that we have not talked a ton about. I think because most of us, most of the people that we talk to most of, I mean, we don't, we're not, we're not Westerners. We don't know what it's like to wake up with 75% of my state being public land. You know what I mean? Like, and we don't even know necessarily that perspective, but it's very, very interesting as a Westerner who has come to Florida or it, or the East coast, as you said, mm-hmm. that that is a pretty dang big challenge that you have to overcome yeah. in, in the South and the South is the access, just the limited access. You know, we've got some pretty big national forests. We've got some decent sized WMAs, but as, as it sits right here where I'm at, mm-hmm. I was just talking about this the other day to the guys. It takes me an hour. It's an hour and a half drive either way to find a Turkey. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like pretty much for on, as far as a public land opportunity. Like I, I just yeah. don't have anything close by because there's just not much. And I've gone on some of these trips before out West where it seems like pretty much every, you know, you're driving with your Onyx pulled up trying to find new public pieces. And it's like, there's a lot, <laughs> there's a lot right. to, to explore. Mm-hmm. So that's a, that's a unique challenge that, that I don't think we talk about maybe enough. Yeah. That's a double edged sword too. You know, having too many options. Like sure. I usually find myself, well, for instance, I was just hunting coos deer down south towards the border of Arizona. And, uh, man, I look at my on X and there's, it's like a Christmas tree. There's points everywhere. Cause I've been <laughs> hunting those units for the last 20 some odd years. 
So I know a lot of spots, but like you, if, when you have too many options, sometimes that creates a problem too. Cause you're like, all right, well, where do I go? What? And if you don't have like a system, like a journal or something, you know, talking about winds and moons and this type of, you know, weather and so on and so forth. So you can correlate, say, well, you know, I, I had the same type of wind, the same type of weather around the same time of year. You know, these are the spots that I had been when I saw these animals or whatever. And, you know, you got to, if you're that detailed and you get into those things, and I used to be, like I used to be, now I just kind of like, I rely on my intuition or something. I don't even know what I do, but I used to spend a lot of time like physically mapping out what it is that I did right that day that allowed me to create an opportunity. We've talked about this before. Like it's these, you're figuring out these common denominators, right? And sometimes, mm-hmm. like I don't know, whatever anybody does for work. Think about what you do as a profession. At first, you're you're learning, you're you're getting deep in the weeds, you're figuring things out. Then at some point, things become second nature. And the longer you do it, the more time you invest doing it. Like what you're saying, I have found the same thing. I was thinking about this the other day as I was looking at my local maps. I was looking at my local maps on Onyx, and I had all these pins everywhere. But all these pins are not even the places that I hunt right now. Like I just don't ever spend any time there because those are all old. You know, it's stuff that I've that I've put along the over the years. But my best places over the past, you know, three to four years, the best spots that I've been focusing on don't have pins in my spots Mm -hmm. because I just like, eh, you know, it's it's like that second. That's kind of how I found them. Yeah, second nature. You Mm -hmm. know, and occasionally you put a pin up here and there, but. Dude, that's a, that's a really, that's a really cool thought. And we talk about it a lot, you know, making sure that you, when you, when you're learning in that learning phase mm-hmm. that we're talking about, when you're in that, write stuff down, figure out a way to retain that information. And there will be a stage, I believe. I mean, we're obviously always learning, still keep doing that, but there will be a point when the writing down things, you're not doing nearly as much of that because you're having success in the places that you're going to. Right. You know, and I feel like if you kept up with the writing thing, you'd probably even see even more success. But one of the things that kind of parallel to what we're talking about is, and I don't know if you've ever heard the term juxtaposition. I talk about this to people all the time. Like if you go to an area, if you, if you're a honey hole, let's, let's, let's look at your honey hole. Okay. If you dissect your honey hole, it's got feed here. It's got these kind of trails. It's got, you know, this kind of cover. It's close to water this way. Da, 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 da. It's got this type of intersections of ridges and so on and so forth. And you take those components and you learn how to, one, identify those components on like Google Earth or on X or something like that. And you replicate those with the same type of juxtaposition. That is the, the, the relationship between each of those components and their distance from each other, like how they all come together as a system. If you take that and you replicate it somewhere else, I guarantee you go to that other place, there's going to be animals in that place. Because that's been my, I guess... Uh, secret sauce from from day one is once I figured that out, that's why I can go from Arizona. I can go to New York. I can go to Georgia. I can go to Alabama, Florida, whatever, 
and in five days figure out a place to hunt. Now, do I am I successful every single time? No, I'm not. You know, I'm not a savant. I have times that I do not tag out. I haven't tagged out this year in, in Arizona yet. So, like creating opportunities, I almost never go on a hunt where I don't have at least one opportunity. In recent ten years, the one, the only one that I can think of right now, even kind of had an opportunity was this past year in Idaho. I went out hunting. I was just a all around shitty hunt, but I didn't create a shot opportunity for myself. So, you know, if you measure success by opportunity, like I'm wildly successful, you know, because I'm able to look at those, those components and replicate them in the terrain that I'm at. You know, it's going to be different. The feet's going to be different. The water's going to be different. The ridges, elevation, the species might even be different. But animals use landscape very similar, especially deer species, you know, elk, deer, you know, moose, all that. They use it very similar to each other. I'm, uh, I'm curious to know, you mentioned, you know, you create these opportunities. When you're, when you're thinking of opportunity, mm-hmm. I think this would be great for a listener to know too, is the type of person we're talking to. Are you looking for quote unquote, mature animals every single time? Are you going after just an opportunity at legal animals since you you are traveling so much? Like what's your, I mean, obviously everybody wants to go out and kill big buck and we're mm-hmm. hunting for big bucks. Of course, yeah. But I think there are different types of people, you know? Sometimes I go to a place where I'm like, man, opportunity's slim. I'm going to create an opportunity on, you know, something smaller, you know, yeah. than I was originally intending to. And so that still counts as the opportunity and the success. Yeah, no. Um, so my philosophy on that is whatever makes me happy in the moment. You know, Love there, that. there's days. Philosophy. There's days that I'm like, I I want to shoot the biggest, baddest thing on the mountain, and then there's days that I got to talk myself off a ledge to shoot a spike. Well, I mean, maybe not a spike, <laughs> but you, you get you get the end. It's of, okay. Nobody's judging here. No, no. Nobody's I'm just judging I'm just saying it's been a while since I shot a spike. I actually shot a spike in, in Florida by accident. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, that was a number of years ago. Anyway, but yeah, I uh, I don't put a whole lot of weight into inches. You know, I see something that's like exciting to me, then I you know, could be a three-year-old deer that's got a bunch of character or it could be a five and a half year old bruiser 160. I don't, you know, I don't know. It's just, it, it doesn't, could be a doe, you know, <laughs> like I don't, yeah. sometimes I get excited. It depends on the style of that I'm hunting, where I'm hunting. Like if I've been to a, I've never been to a place, then my expectations of what I'm going to shoot go way to hell down. Like I don't, I'm not trying to come out of a, uh, you know, what a Pope and Young if I've never set foot in a state or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, or hunted that. If it's a new species to me, which there's not a whole lot of species that I haven't hunted yet, but I, that, that's how I am with my taxidermy too. Like if, if it's the situation is right, then I'm going to, you know, do a hide on, you know, taxidermy. Otherwise it'll be a Euro and something like that. Yeah. So it's that same philosophy. I think it's interesting because one you, you guys have been like hitting on a bunch of different stuff that's all kind of like speaking one big message to me in a sense. And that is like, you know, you talked about having too many options. Parker has to drive a long dis- difference. I could not be 
the exact opposite. I've got 500,000 acres across the street from my house. So I have too many options, very much like what you talked about. And it's been one of those things where I have been too inflexible with my mindset and my approach. I'm very much like trying to hone a specific skill set by finding a specific certain fill in the blank that I've heard or read or, or studied about. And I'll just walk past a lot of really actionable mm. areas looking for this thing that I just want to see on the landscape for myself. And Parker in very recent history, several times has been like, why aren't you deer hunting these areas? And it's, it's kind of been a challenge to me as of late. And I've really this year reflected on this heavily. I've got a lot of opportunity in some very obvious areas that haven't had that thing I was looking for. And I've ignored what the deer were telling me, which is they're there <laughs> and, and to study and, and to study that why. And when you talk about adjusting your mindset to that, allowing it to the opportunity to excite you. Mm-hmm. there's a lot of areas where I've, I've tried to this year in the past couple of years kind of grow my abilities as I don't want to say like a big buck killer, but I'm the guy that every day has to talk himself out of shooting a spike. That is me through and through. You never have to worry about that. Um, my bars for expectation is so low. And so I've been trying to push that into, let's see if I can grow, not because I have anything to prove, but just, Let's take that challenge on. And I think I've taken that a little too far in some instances and ignored some areas that would provide a really exciting opportunity and probably growth in and of itself. But I just didn't have that flexible mindset, like you said, to say, does this area have all the factors to hold deer? Mm -hmm. And in a state like Florida, I genuinely believe there's only a few of those areas on the landscape that consistently will hold deer. And when you find one, you don't need to argue with it. You just need to figure out the why and see if you can't replicate it elsewhere. Right. Does that kind of resonate with, with your experience down here so far? Yes. Yep. Absolutely. Um, Turning the corner, Parker. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I want to, I would, I would argue with both of you on, on one thing. I'm glad you brought it back up uh, because I was going to bring it up when John said it, but the thing, the thing about uh, having too much land is a problem. Yeah. I, I would argue that I think that is a problem that you can fix. You can you can fix with a mindset change or with a Absolutely. with a with a discipline sure. with with the limited access you can't you can't I can't do anything about that you know what I mean yep like there's I can't hunt better I can't be smarter uh, you know I mean right I just have to find those opportunities that are going to be further away and so yeah dude like when I when I go to Walt's house I'm driving down the road I'm like Walt why how, why have you never told me I hunted deer here because this place looks like it's loaded with deer yeah, and it's two yeah. miles away from your home. You know, like what, why are you complaining about not, about not killing deer right now? You could do it before work. Um, <laughs> and so like, I get really jealous of people who have those opportunities literally <laughs> outside. I'm like, and, and I will call them on it. Like if you got two acres of property in your house, mm-hmm. you're like, Oh yeah, the deer come out there. Well, do you ever shoot one? Yeah. No. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, yeah. You've got opportunity. Freaking use it, you know? Yes. And that wasn't at you, Walt. That was just at people in general. No, it's okay. It's fitting. The, the shoe fits. And I'm 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 <laughs> humble enough to wear it because it's definitely the case. And it's it's like when you when you when you're looking for something on the team member, right? I want too much of something. I want too much passion because I can teach you to, to control it. I can't coach passion into you. I can't convince you mm-hmm. to want something more, but I can teach you to control your desire and your go drive, right? And so like that, I was listening to another podcast and the guy says every year he categorizes all of his pins, and I think this is really cool. He goes into Onyx and he creates a folder for all of his pins by year and he makes them disappear so that the next year 
when he's making decisions, he's looking at a fresh map by and large. And if he needs them, he can just turn them back on to see what's there. But he's looking at the landscape as if there's no influence there. Mm. And I think I'm going to do that this year because I think there's a lot of undue influence having been here for five years. I've written off a lot of spots. And in reality, I just need to start back over and be like, within 15 minutes of the house where are the areas of interest and let's go pursue those let's go break those down and let's figure out if those are worth going and then slowly bring that scope out further that's not a bad plan absolutely john you talk about these these factors that create opportunity for you anywhere like i think you were saying was like all these deer do what deer do right Mm -hmm. basically in a nutshell deer across the country are going to do deer things and i think that goes back into that second nature thing that you're talking about is like you you know mm-hmm. like for me it's a if i can find three hardline transitions with a terrain feature or a water feature like a if i can find that like and i see it on a map i'm gonna go in there blind and it has worked more times than i could count with with most of my biggest deer too but just opportunity in general like those are the i, I know if i go anywhere and i find that I may not know the pressure situation, right? That's the only factor that I'd have no clue about if I haven't been there before. And so I've had it happen where I'm like, oh, crap, well, there's a stand right here. It is what it is. But there are times where you go in, you get lucky. Nobody's found the spot or nobody's hunting the spot. There's not any pressure there. And you found it. And the deer do what deer do. I think if you can find those spots like that, I don't know what yours is. Yours is yours. Your thing might be different than my thing. You know, everybody has different. There's different tactics, but I think it can. It like you said, it works across the country. Yeah. With with minor differences. So my thing is trying to stack as many. First off, learn what deer need. Okay, and what deer look for, especially in your area. Now that might vary from Florida to. So I hunt in South Dakota. We guide up. I guide up there every year. And it's completely, completely different. You know, you're talking dry, cold as shit, (laughs) you know, like super windy. Like what does that deer need? You know, obviously the obvious things are cover, feed, and water, right? Those are the obvious things. But those things look different there than they do look in Florida. Now, there's certain things that don't change at all. And I think you might have termed it differently, but I believe you just said it. I look for edge. Okay. Edge habitat. That's one, one type of habitat changes to another. So I grew up on Long Island. If you didn't hear the New York accent. I was trying to figure out, figure it out, man, to be honest. I was like, is it New York? Or, yeah, and that was not Coos Deer. I knew it wasn't Atlanta. Well, I, <laughs> when did they get Coos Deer in New York? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I've been living in Arizona since 91, so I'm pretty much a zony, but you know, the first 16 years of my life was spent, and I'm aging myself, but the first 16 years of my life were spent on Long Island, and I go back there every year. And I've killed, not every year, I go back there almost every year, every other year, whatever. But I always kill deer when I go back there. And the locals always on there, they're like, you know, how, why, you know, you don't even live here. How do you, you know? And Long Island's really easy to figure out because the places that deer can live are limited. So that's what I was talking about. Part of what I was talking about when you have too much, like if you got too much land, if you don't have a that crazy high density of deer, then 
they not, may not occupy that 50,000 acres, you know, they might only occupy 20 here and 10 there, you know, whatever the case may be. So pockets. Yeah. Yeah. We talk uh, about pockets a mm-hmm. lot actually. Yeah. So, but one of the things I figured out living in Long Island was there's swamps there, right? So, because it's, you know, a few, few feet over sea level and there's a lot of swamps there. So figuring out edge where a swamp meets, you know, mm-hmm. a oak grove or something like that, that's where deer are going to travel. That's where deer are going to feed, you know? So looking at those things, it's been huge for me, you know? So. I've in, in hunting other States, I absolutely would agree with you. Like it's, I think that one, one parallel that I just drew, you talked about South Dakota. So let's talk about South Dakota and Alabama, right? Okay. Just for sake sure. of South Dakota, late season food source, cornfields, everything's frozen, mm-hmm. right? So you find anywhere where there's crops and they're digging, doing that thing, everything's frozen, everything's covered in snow. It's limited their ability. I know a lot of people who, you know, in state, I'm not sure in South Dakota if, if baiting is legal or not. It's not. I know in, in North Dakota it is. Mm-hmm. And that time of year is when the bait piles flipping light up yep. because they're, they're desperate for food. They just, <laughs> they're desperate for it. And they'll go into these cornfields. I think they'll dig up, dig up through the snow corn that's been harvested while well, all that stuff. The easy parallel over here in Alabama, late season, food sources might be running low. You're not going to be dealing with a whole lot of snow and ice and that situation, but you're going to be dealing with limited food sources and red oaks drop later, mm-hmm. you know? And so, you know, in those two states, they might look different. Those late season food sources might be ex- opposite ends of the spectrum, but it's the same, it's the same idea, right? It's yep. the same goal. These deer don't have much food. Find out what that is. And I think that's what the minor differences are from state to state. The majors are all still the same. Yeah. Um, but you just have these minor regional differences. And I think, you know, as you travel, you said you haven't been to every state, but you've been to every region. And a lot of these regions all share the same things. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so you can, once you learn that, man, dude, like. I'm not going to say, like you said, I'm not going to say you go and you are successful every single time. You're still, there's still factors, right? But I mean, you put the odds so much in your favor when you do that little, I'm not going to say it's a little bit of work, right? You know, as well as I do, it's not a a little bit of work. It's a lot of work. You have to dedicate yourself to it, but it is possible. And you see people like that who travel, like, how are these people so stinking successful everywhere? And it's usually a just a different version of what you just said, (laughs) you know, they figure that thing out. Yeah. It's a formula, you know, it's just, it's being able to look at stuff abstractly and take these pieces and put them into the puzzle. And the more complete your puzzle is, the better your chances are. Now, if you only got three pieces of, you know, a 10 piece puzzle, can you have success? Yeah, you could have success, but it's not going to be the same as if you had eight out of those Mm -hmm. 10 or Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So it takes some doing and it really goes back to how we kind of started this conversation is, is keeping track of the things that you're doing right that provide you opportunities. So 
you know, the day that you see a crap ton of deer, what was it about that day? What was the barometer? Mm -hmm. What was the weather? What was the moon? What look, let me look at the surroundings. What, how did I pick this spot? And what about this spot makes it good? You might not even know. You might have gone there because you think, oh, you know, I saw a trail, saw some tracks, saw some rubs, saw some scrapes, whatever. And that's all great stuff, you know. But what about that spot made 15 deer pass by your stand? Are you on you know, a transition it's, it's zone? Are you in a, you know, bedding area? What, you know, figure those things out. You were going to say, well, it, sorry. It, you, yeah, no, it's okay. It, I, the idea popped into my mind before I stopped to actually think if you you were done. But it's <laughs> it's interesting because there's arenas of the hunting space that take journaling very seriously. Mm-hmm. And you see those people tend to have a lot of rep, replicable success. And so when I started turkey hunting, I journal. And every hunt, when I get done, I've got my leather journal. And I put in there what I heard, what the pressure was, what the wind was, all the different things. And I see trends that go through all of that. And sometimes it's counterintuitive. It doesn't match your reality. But that's not something that you hear a whole lot in the like big game space outside of that, especially you know for deer. I don't hear of a whole lot of people who put the time into creating that catalog of of data, and it kind of makes you wonder. At least it makes me wonder what I've what meat I've left on the bone. Things that would have stood out to me, you know, a, a type of oak tree that's dropping, and and suddenly it has preference, and suddenly that area during those years is really really good. Mm-hmm. Um, might have to be something. I, I deer hunt. It feels like a lot more than a turkey hunt. And so that it feels more laborious than it probably is, but I bet that I bet there's something to be had there, especially if you if you combine everything we're talking about, which is finding that area, studying that area, and kind of making your study points a little more focalized. Wow, focused in in your direction. <laughs> I feel like there could be like some. <laughs> Parker's laughing because all day today I've been stumbling over my words. It has been I'm, ridiculous. Joe Biden. I'm the king of it. Yeah, I'm the king of it. I think I'm turning into Joe Biden. So, <laughs> but yeah. Sorry, I derailed us there, but it just it feels like that's something that I think we could really, as a community, probably end up leveraging. Especially people like me. I'm not a very good deer hunter. I'm not like I own that. I'm I can kill things occasionally with the rifle. It is what it is. Um, but a lack of discipline may be impacting that as well. I'm gonna I'm gonna address something with you. I don't. I know we're not sitting on a on a couch here, and I'm not giving you. So this is something that I've realized, and you can take with you know take it with a grain of salt, I guess. When you start talking about you not being a good deer hunter, when you start talking, and, I, and I've been doing this a lot lately in my own personal life, so I'm, that's why I'm gonna, I'm, I could speak to it. Confidence has a lot to do with being successful in anything, but especially in hunting. And it goes up even more when you're talking about bow hunting because there's a, a different physicality to that. When you start talking about not being a good deer hunter and owning it up, you start believing that, it actually translates into having less success. You're self-defeating. And I've I've done it. I've been doing it. I used to be like, if you talked to me five years ago, whether it was true or not, I know it wasn't, but John Stallone was the greatest archer that ever lived. You know, like that was my mindset. I didn't really believe that, that I was the greatest, but that was my mindset. Like if I drew my bow back, that animal was going to die. Like I knew I wasn't going to miss whether that was the case or not. <laughs> you know? Now in the last few years, I've allowed that doubt. I've allowed myself to start talking about not being a good hunter, not being this and not being that. 
my confidence level has dropped significantly. And I have noticed that it has affected my ability to hunt. So don't do that to yourself. And I'm (laughs) saying this to you because I've done it to myself. And it's not a good thing. I feel like that pep talk wouldn't have been as good without the New York accent, man. Yeah. I, <laughs> like I feel like it was kind of rocky-ish to me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Don't do that to yourself. Exactly. Um, you are that is man, again, an, another unique point, unique challenge that we haven't talked about enough. I mean, we always say confidence is king, right? Mm-hmm. Like you you mm-hmm. gotta be confident if you're gonna go into these places but we don't talk about enough. Like, like here is how it absolutely directly influences the way that you hunt. Mm -hmm. I I know when I'm, when I have been not confident with shooting, it forces me to set up in a spot, especially if I'm hunting with a rifle, if I'm not feeling confident with my rifle, I'm going to try to get a little bit too close, maybe closer than I should be with a rifle. Mm -hmm. And I make bad decisions because I'm not confident. Same thing with the bow. You need to be confident with that thing. You know, I'm just talking about physical confidence. And then there's the confidence in your decision-making ability. That's the biggest thing. Golly, we could do a whole probably podcast about that because I've, dude, I mean, we can all probably think of somebody that you're like, dude, you are hunting the exact same way that you always have and you're still not killing any deer. Like, are you really that confident when you're setting up in a tree with your, with your statistics? You know what I mean? Like, Cause I know for me, when I go and set up, if I'm confident in a spot, I'm confident in it. Like there, I do have unconfident sits, but most times if I set up, it is because I am pretty confident in that spot. And, and I, I do think it leads to an extra amount of success, you know, yeah. like well, a, if you're confident in this spot, you're going to be more patient because you have, yep. a, you know, something's going to mm-hmm. happen. If you don't, mm-hmm. I mean, how many times have you sat in a stand? Well, I'll give you a great story actually this was in florida i got into this like pine grove that was on the edge and i climbed up into a tr- into this tree i made that set the, that morning there were some rubs close by me and i just like i was running out of time and i needed to pick a spot so i was like all right i'm just gonna hunt here i got up in the stand and it was like i don't know 10 a.m i think at this point i hadn't seen anything birds you know and I was like, all right, I'm gonna eat. I'm gonna eat something out of my a snack or something. And I I reached before I reached over into my bag to grab my PB and J sandwich or whatever it was that I was getting. <laughs> I hit my little, you know, the little can, the the doble can. I hit it twice. You know, when you do that, you're supposed to wait and look and wait and just see what what that did. But I did it, and I just bent over and I started. Well, here it comes running in a doe with a buck right behind her. And I was already like bent over and into my backpack trying to get my sandwich out. And I kind of looked up because I heard the noise. And here's this deer looking straight up at me. And I'm like, uh, what do I do? Like, you know, and it was because I didn't have confidence in the spot. So I kind of just willy nilly decided to do that instead of. If I had confidence in the spot, I would have did that. I would have did my thing. I would have had my bow in my hand. I would have been waiting to see if something happened or reacted to what I just did, you know, and to take confidence further. This is for me, if you can't see yourself doing it, you're not going to more, more times than not, you're not going to do it. Okay. I'll give you the story about 
when I, this past year in uh, this past season in South Dakota, I literally almost gave up hunting because I let my confidence get shit canned. Like I was hunting a specific deer, it was a buck, two bucks actually, that I was that was on my hit list, and one of them was we call them four by four stickers. There's a big four by four muley, like 170 class buck with kickers that came out the top and uh, just a great deer. And the moral story is this. I created probably, I don't know how many, I had to go through and count it, but at least 10 opportunities where I was less than 50 yards on this deer and I didn't shoot him. I didn't get him. I actually shot him in the horn. Okay. I shot him in the damn antler. Okay. Which really just ruined my confidence. And that, that part of the story is a whole nother thing. I didn't range and I guessed and uh, I guessed wrong. And he was going away from me and I hit him in, in the, in the antler. He was at 45 and I thought he was at 60. I don't know. Like, I don't know what the hell I was thinking, but anyhow, the moral of the story is like, I was just focused on the mistakes that I made instead of looking at the fact that, Oh, John, you got within 50 yards of this buck 10 different times. Like you created a bunch of opportunities. Mm-hmm. Most people wouldn't have even created one. And you know, the last day I ended up shooting a buck that I, I like, I, I called it my frustration buck, a buck that I would have passed hundred percent, but I shot it just so I can say that I shot something, you know, like I needed that for my ego. And, you know, if you look at these things and you don't look at the positive things and you do, and you do things to self-defeat yourself, you're going to be self-defeating. You're not going to, you're not going to succeed. You know, every once in a while you're going to get lucky just because that's how the, the nature of hunting, mm-hmm. you know, you get lucky and you, know, you hear that all the time. I'd rather be lucky than good, but that's BS. I'd rather be good than lucky. You know, <laughs> I like to create my own luck because luck doesn't come around often enough for me. And, um, you know, take what I said with the grain of salt, like I said, but I think if you can't see yourself doing it, you're not going to do it. And you got to be able to, like, I do a lot of spot and stalk hunting, which is completely different, you know, ball, like there's a lot of, you got to do a lot of things right. You know, once you pick a stand spot, like once you've done the work, yeah, you got, you know, there's a shot process. There's a whole making sure you aim correctly and all that stuff. But that's with any, any type of hunting you do. The work's already done. You've already made your decision. You're already, you're here. This is where you're at, you know, where a spot and stalk, there's, you know, should I go this way? Should I do this way? Should I stop here? You know, there's way more decisions to be made. And if you can't see yourself going through all that, you're, you're going to, you're not going to make it happen. So that's, uh, so, you know, it's, what's funny is you say that and I see parallels to times I've been in the woods in the very recent, very recent past where I've allowed myself in many ways to get complacent in those moments where the, the can thing that you just talked about there, that uh, I did that just the other day. So you said that and I was like, wow, okay, this is getting a little creepy, but I hit the can and then immediately opened up a pack of crackers that was louder than all hell. And it was like, I should not have. And I remember in that moment thinking, this is really dumb. Like, but (laughs) it just stemmed from like, like you said, I think the prime time was gone. The moment was gone, right? It felt like that, that little opportunity you're going to see a deer moving through that swamp. It kind of slipped past and you were, you were standing there just for the sake of, of being there, but you hadn't manufactured that, that, that focus. And I don't get that way in the turkey woods. 
at all. I'm, I'm pretty locked in the entire time and I stay pretty plugged in. Um, and that's where I, I tell Barker, he'll attest to this if he wants to, but I have a remarkable amount of confidence. I'm not a very good, well, I won't say that because you'll get on me again, but uh, I'm a new turkey hunter. I don't want to. Uh, but, I, <laughs> but I have a remarkable amount of confidence whenever it comes to the turkey woods and I can just stay plugged in every moment of the, of the grind there. And I probably need to tap into that. Walter definitely creates opportunity. He creates opportunity because he creates things that happen in, in his mind and his imagination. <laughs> like turkeys goblin. <laughs> nobody else heard it. He definitely created that opportunity for himself. <laughs> um, I got a crazy story, man, that, I, that, you know, you're talking about confidence. I think simply put confidence, lack of confidence affects every single part of your decision-making as a deer hunter or a hunter period having no confidence you know i don't want to wake up in the mornings early in the morning or as early when i'm not confident in myself and the example i'm about to give people have probably watched this video or heard me talk about it on a podcast but last year i i believed that i missed the biggest buck that i'd ever probably shot at it may be the biggest buck that i ever do shoot at is a large a really big deer a public land alabama deer just a tank of a buck and uh at the time i was not super confident in myself or my ability as a hunter this was last season and not confident at all in my ability mostly as a shooter though i, I kept missing i just couldn't hit the broad side of the barn uh, ended up taking a shot at this deer he ran off my gun jammed when he stopped and i couldn't get it loaded back up and finally as he was running off i was able to get another shot off as he was running and he didn't drop or anything. He was chasing a doe, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, and in that moment, I'm going to, I'm going to tell on myself too, because I want to drive home your point, John, I'm pretty sure at this point that I actually killed that deer because a friend of mine found a very, very similar deer less than a hundred yards away. I had told him to go and hunt this area, had taken him in there and I was tagged out this year. And I told him, go ahead, dude, freaking go, go out there, have a good time, shoot a buck. And he ended up walking up and he found a very, very similar deer, yeah. dead deer to the one that I, that I shot less than a hundred yards away. And this is a place it's boat access. So you're already going to be limited on the amount of people that go in there and the place that it was in, it's just not a place where, you know, you would expect somebody else to kill a deer and it die literally right there. That looks so similar. Mm. And so my lack of confidence as a shooter if i were confident that season i promise you what i would have done would have gone to where that deer was at and just walked 300 yards 400 yards down that trail and and had i done that there was a very good chance i was going to find the largest deer of my life mm. but because i was not confident i didn't find it i didn't i, I mean i i would have told you i missed i mean i did tell you i missed yeah. in the video i missed that deer and, uh, and I just found that out. That was, that was last month. It was literally, I found that my buddy went in there a, a year anniversary after I had shot. It was literally a year to the day, December the 15th. He calls me. He's like, I found a big deer in here, you know? And, and I haven't, I haven't shared that story because it kind of pisses me off if I'm being at myself. <laughs> and, and if I were, if I were a listener, I'd be like, what a loser, you know, like, like I would be judging me hard right now. Cause I didn't do my due diligence and it was all because I wasn't confident. That's it. That's all it came down to. Yeah. Yeah. John, I don't, I don't know how much more time you have, but we, we've we talked about a lot of awesome stuff, but we haven't talked a whole lot about Florida. You got a few more minutes for us? Sure. Okay. So 
in, I think it was 2020, I discovered a post where you killed an absolute stud of a deer. Have I got that right? I don't. I mean, if 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 that's a stud of a deer, then yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sounds like all the kills they just they just all merge together at this point. I can't keep up with all the opportunity. But uh, I, I guess I guess I'm curious. This is what I'll do. Instead of asking you for a long story, mm-hmm. I'd love to hear about the moment where it all kind of clicked for you in Florida, where you started to like put it together. What what occurred in that moment, and and what did that translate into in, in the form of opportunity? I think I'd rather go back to an older deer because that particular deer, that last deer I shot, I shot him on private and a buddy of mine outfits there. So I had outside influence and in and intel in it. So it wasn't all me where I was sitting. So I don't want to take 100% credit for that deer as being, gotcha. uh, you know, that deer... Um, like I said, I was there in October and there was some rutting activity going on. We looked at a lot of sign. We saw a lot of tracks going into an area and because it was so thick and because it was on these islands in the swamp, we knew deer had to travel there. So it wasn't a like, oh my God, I figured it out, you know, like it mm-hmm. was, uh, so I'm going to back up to 2015. I drew a WMA and I don't remember which one it was, but there was swamps there, but not a whole lot. It was more like clear cut pine and I can't, I had both the muzzle loader tag and, and an archery tag. I brought my muzzle loader with me, but I never, I don't think, I think I boxed it one night. And that was it. But there was people, other people, other recreationalists using this area, like people on mountain bikes using the trails mm-hmm. and stuff. And it was kind of like a was was an interesting situation. But I spent the first two days like I was hunting with a climber, but I wasn't like confident where I was hunting. I, I had a buddy of mine that was kind of like hosting me to go stay with them and um they hunt this area. So, but they were giving me some like areas, but they weren't telling me where to go sit exactly. They were just giving me areas. And I was in this one area and I was kind of like, you know, looking for those pieces. Like, so every day I would move my stand a little bit closer to what I wanted. You know, I started here then I moved here then I started there mm-hmm. and I moved there and I started finding like these hubs of trails. Some of them were human trails, but just based on the tracks and how many people. And then I, within that, I started finding rubs and then I started finding scrapes and I started putting these pieces together. And then I realized that the swamp was like 60 yards, 70 yards behind where I was at. So yes, deer could probably still move through there, but they probably weren't going to use it very often. And I was looking in the mud and all that stuff to see, you know, if there was tracks going through there. And there was a clear cut, like recent within the last three years. So I knew there was good feed within a hundred yards of my stand that they were coming out of this. This was probably where they were bedding. They were using these trail system. They were, you know, obviously there was rubs and scrapes there. So I knew there was bucks in the area. And it was, I think it was like one of the coldest 
Februarys or something that you guys ever had like on <laughs> on record. It was stupid, like stupid cold. Like I, I mean, I was like, am I in Florida or am I in South Dakota? But <laughs> it was like really, really bad cold. Like there was ice, and you know, I think northern Florida actually got some snow. You know, flurries and whatever. So it was bad, but I knew that the the, the weather was like kind of be in our favor for deer to come out and feed. So I, I had found this one spot. I climbed this tree. I had a scrape down to my left. I had this trail system with rubs going all the way down it to my right. And out in front of me was the clear cut and behind me was this swamp. And I just felt super confident about all these pieces coming together. And I climbed up that tree that night and, um, right at last light a buck came out that i shot and i filmed it now this is not a happy story because i lost the buck but i filmed it i shot the buck and the guys that were there told me that that buck probably would have made number one in the county for that of all time so i just made a bad shot i uh i got a little excited didn't wait for him to turn all the way and uh it was quartering to me and i made a bad shot and i don't want to throw people under the bus we got down when i got down that night i said let's not go after this deer and everybody's like well you got to go after the deer you know uh <laughs> he's gonna go off into the swamp you're not gonna find him i'm like i'm pretty sure he's laying down in that clear cut right there let's just wait till tomorrow but no they talked me into it we jumped him and he ran into the swamp mm. but i think he would have stayed Anyway, and died, and I would have got him. That's either here nor there. But, yeah, that was probably my – it was a deer that I didn't get, but that was probably my most proudest moment of hunting in Florida because – now, mind you, I've only I've only shot four deer in Florida, so it's not like I have a bunch of – Me oh, too. Well, there you go. Um, <laughs> I've shot two in Alabama. But, yeah, like – that was probably my most memorable because it was, I was there for a week and I, it was just this like constant deduction of where I was. Like I was like here. Okay. I saw, I saw this. Well, I need to get here. And then I started seeing this and I moved to here. And it was just like, I, I kept trying to find the pieces like, you know, and I wasn't afraid. I wasn't cemented in my first decision and I wasn't afraid to keep looking for a better opportunity. A lot of times when you're pressed for time and you got a time constraints on, on your hunt, it almost paralyzes you. Like, well, you know, I did see some does from here. Maybe I should just stay here, you know, or I did see a spike or there, I, there is this sign here, you know, and then, and there's times where that, will translate into success. Like I, I just talked to a guy on my podcast that spent 20 days, 20 days in a blind waiting for a specific, it was, we were talking about elk hunting was for a specific bull to come water. I don't think I can spend 20 days in one spot. Like, time. but there's times that you're like, you know, you know, if you did the work and you want to, and you, you got to have the resolve to stay, stay put. I'm, I've never been a stay put kind of guy, you know, but on the flip side of it, like you, I think if you get afraid to move because, you know, time constraint or whatever, or because you think 
you can't have FOMO, you know, like you can't, don't, don't fear what you're missing out on that one spot. Because if you're sitting in a stand, yes, yeah, stay in that stand and focus on it. But don't be thinking about, oh shit, I should have sat over here or I should have did this or I should have did that. But when, when that sits over, weigh your options, you know, weigh your options and say, okay, well, again, I, I I'm going to keep using the puzzle as a, as an analogy, you know, this spot that I'm in has three pieces, but I think if I move here, I'm going to have five, five pieces, you know, over here, I might have eight pieces. And then when you, once you get to that, where you're like, well, this is the best possible that I have to work with, then, then you might want to cement yourself into, to stay in there. But well, you, you, you talked about, you know, keeping every single time you go a little bit further, not getting complacent, not doing that, whatever. I've said it before. I would rather be late to the spot that the deer are at than early to the place where they're not, you know? And I think, I think like you're saying, we get a lot of, you get these trips that might be four days, right? Four days. It's like, man, you know that you're going to have to find what you want quick. And then you make those decisions. I did see some does here, you know, it's all trail here. And I think just over time for me, that just didn't work, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. like it did not present opportunities for me on those quick trips. But what did was going hard in the paint. I'm not going to stop. I'm not, I might waste my gas. I might not ever set up while I'm here, or maybe I'll set up an hour before dark in a random spot. And that's actually what resulted in me getting a shot at a pretty big floor buck. Um, was just, you know, I'm just going to set up here for the last hour. Cause I scouted all evening and I didn't find a thing and there's a rub here. Let's set up. And, and sometimes you have those, those, things like you said sometimes that that's where you get the opportunity at and that's more probably luck slash determining the things that you have seen work over time and finding a place where maybe a couple of those things come together so you're still you're still there's still tactic in it and there's still skill involved in it but it's just not the place it's not the one that that you wanted but it has worked more times than me you know i think about i've taken a couple of quick trips to kentucky mm-hmm. and you take you know in those quick trips four day trips, I've got an opportunity. Some of those resulted in a wounded deer. Some of them resulted in a good deer, you know, but it's because I didn't stop until I found exactly what I wanted, you right. know, and, and I put myself in the perfect spot, even though I may only had one day to hunt it. By the time I find it, I would rather have 15 seconds in the spot where he's going to walk by, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? than have a whole trip somewhere else. So, yeah. Yeah. If you talk to anybody like, who's legendary in, in, in the hunting space and you tell them, you give them a scenario like, Hey, you got four days to hunt in a new area. What are you going to do? Well, they're going to tell you that they're going to scout for three days and then hunt yep. the last day. You know, that's maybe that's why I'm not legendary, but that's not my, <laughs> that's not my, that, that's not my tactic. I'm going to hunt, but I'm going to hunt scout. Yep. You know, I'm going to hunt scout. I, 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 I have a very hard time when it's go time, not going. So, but I will, I will make those decisions as I go and I'm not afraid to move or to, to change my tactics, to change my positions I really honestly like I keep using South Dakota as an example because this is one of the places that taught me this it's like one of the few places right off the bat that I learned 
that everything goes there. Like you can decoy, you can rattle, you can call, you can predator call, you can spot and stalk, you can tree stand hunt, you could sit water, all the things that like work good in other places, everything works there. And it's like, I always tell people, it's like where the West meets the Midwest. So like all those Midwest tactics that you would, you know, use for whitetail and all the Western tactics that you would use for whitetail or, or mule deer, they all work. Like even mule deer, like I snort and wheeze mule deer, like you, people don't. And so what I started doing is I started incorporating those things in other places. I went, well, shit, they start working there too. And it's because I thought South, you know, South Dakota was unique. Yes. Mm-hmm. Is it as effective here in Arizona to rattle in a buck? No, it's not. But does it work? Yes, it does. You know, so like it's not being afraid to my, this examples and this is just to, you know, illustrate that it's not being afraid to do things when other things are not working. So, and be able to, to move and be light on your foot and, 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 and change with the situation. But it's, it's realizing that the situation needs change. That's where the, the golden goose is. Is, is having that ability to yeah. to realize that what you you know what's I don't know what the, the exact saying is but you know the the definition of of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result you know right so that's all well I got for mad you. props John for coming to Florida for spending yeah. spending time spending money I mean you said you shot a few deer there it tells me you've you've spent time and money. I, I, I always tend to respect people who are interested in uh, going out and chasing somebody else's hard. You yeah. know what I mean? When I say that, like people in the South know Florida's hard. Florida residents know it's hard. It is hard. I respect people who are willing to go and say, I want to see, you know, yeah. I think that's, I think it's really cool. And it, you've had success doing it, which is icing on the cake, man. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, for me, like, you know, when people ask me, I, I tell people I'm an adventure hunter and I'm very intrigued by the newness of something, like the new experience, the adventure that awaits me. You know, um don't get me wrong, I'm not like anybody else where you know, I'm I sh- I'm sad, I should say I'm like everybody else where I would love to hold a you know, a big rack in my hand. I would love to have success everywhere. But I found a passion in looking for what the next thing was going to be. Like, you know, what the thing that excites me is going to a new place. And I, and I hunt a lot of the same places over and over again too, but I like the idea. I like the challenge that it presents me of having to figure it out. And that's been my I guess my thing. That's why I do a lot of, you know, out of state hunting that it's that and having opportunity to go because if you stay in one state, then you're bound by whatever the opportunities are there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's it in a nutshell. And I don't think if you, if you hunt, if you hunt other States, so I find myself hunting other States differently than I hunt in my home state, but which is a whole, probably a whole other podcast topic in and of itself. But I think you, if, if all you ever do is learn how to get good at home, that's great. Like if that's all you ever do, then that's all you want to want to do is just be good at that. But I would venture to say most people that listen to us, most people who follow you, John, 
probably are not interested in that and they do have some desire to chase it in other places and to chase new experiences and uh man i, I always think like once i once i learned how to hunt Merriam's turkeys that's a great example once i learned how to hunt Merriam's turkeys i mean it took a couple trips to do it but i do feel pretty confident now that i could go and I mean, and, and granted, I have never taken a Merriam's trip where I didn't kill one, but I feel like I could do it more effectively now, now that I know, mm-hmm. like, I feel like I know the things, you know, and I think you can do that regionally, as you said, you can do it by species, uh, and it opens up so many more opportunities for you to extend your season to, uh, I think that's a big plus, extending extending your season, being able to fill more tags and have that adventure more times than one or two or three a season. Yep, absolutely. If you guys got an extra five minutes, I want to I wanna say something about uh, the organization that I'm the vice president of, and that's Howl for Wildlife. And um, Howl for Wildlife, this is why I'm bringing it up, actually. You were talking about going out of state. One of the main things that we do is we connect hunters with decision makers across the country on policy that affects wildlife management the ability to hunt and fish. And uh, one of the things that we're faced as hunters is a lack of, I don't know if it's caring, but we're very self-absorbed in what we do. Okay. We, we're we very good at labeling ourselves, oh, I'm a bow hunter, I'm a deer hunter, I'm a turkey hunter, I'm this, whatever. And we don't pay attention to what goes on across the country. So the guy in Florida who, you know, deer hunts doesn't really give two shits about the guy in Colorado who mountain lion hunts. And mm-hmm. we're all in this together. We're all connected. For me to really draw all the lines for you in a short amount of time, it's kind of hard to, but think about it like this. Okay. So you only hunt deer in, in Florida. That's your thing. Like you don't hunt any other species or you're a deer hunter. And I'm a bear hunter here in Arizona. And anti-hunters come and they try to take bear hunting away and they succeed. And that's, that was my thing. All I did was bear hunt. I'm not a deer hunter. That was my shtick, right? I lost bear hunting. So now I am no longer part of the hunting and fishing community because I lost what I love. Now our collective voice shrinks. The funding that I, that came from me, the tag sales, the, ammo that I bought, whatever, I'm no longer contributing into that. So that shrinks the voice. And it's all about the seat at the table, right? The only reason why we're able to keep hunting and fishing is because we have a seat at the table. And the smaller and smaller our voice gets, the easier, I should say, it is for anti-hunters to take away and come to your state and take away your thing. Because that's their ultimate goal. Their ultimate goal is to eliminate hunting completely. If they had it their way, there wouldn't be any, there wouldn't be any hunting and fishing because they would say the predators are going to manage the the wildlife. I mean, I'm not going to get into why their thinking is completely wrong. We could do another podcast about that another day if you want. <laughs> but we have to realize as a community that it is a community. It's not the hunting industry. It's the hunting community, and really start looking at supporting each other on issues, whether you're a deer hunter, whether you're a bear hunter, you're a lion hunter, you're an elk hunter, whatever the case may be, whether you're from this state or that state, 
so the one of the beautiful things about the fact that you can go to Kentucky and hunt there, the or you can go shoot a Miriam's turkey, you know, in the Midwest, or you know, whatever you could just go out of state is because of the way our loss and how our system works. It actually allows us. So, like, if there's a thing here in Arizona, and they're trying to get bear hunting, you can speak up on my behalf, being a Florida resident. Mm-hmm. You can now. It's not going to hold the same weight as being a constituent of that decision maker. But if you reached out and you said, "Hey, Mister Decision Maker, I'm opposed to this bill, whatever the case may be," or Hey, commissioner, I think you should keep this hunting. They're going to look at it and say, well, yeah, I know you're from Florida, but you might come to Arizona and hunt. You might be spending money here Mm -hmm. in the state. And it gets viewed as something that is positive. Like I said, it's not going to hold the same weight as if I spoke up being a resident from here, but it's very important that you get involved. So anyway, there's a, there's a lot, I way too much for me to unpack in a few minutes, but I would encourage your listeners to go to howlforwildlife.org, take a look at it. We've made it super, super easy for you to get involved in stuff. We are the only organization that allows you to get involved in stuff, even if you're not a member. We created a free membership. There's a free membership and there's paid memberships as well. But if you go to the Action Center and let's say there's a bill there that you want to get involved in, or you should get involved in whether you want to or not, (laughs) but there's a bill you want to get involved in, all you have to do is put your name and your email and there's pre-drafted emails that go out and it's not a canned email. It's not the same thing. It's going directly from you to the decision maker. It does not come from Alpha Wildlife to the decision maker. And it's just super simple. When we create, it takes about 30 seconds to get involved in one issue, you know? So we made it super simple for you. So go to howforwildlife.org. I'll get off my high horse right now, but one of these days, we'd like, I'd love to unpack that with you guys. So, Absolutely, man. Anything that creates opportunity for people to get involved easily, I think it's a, it's a great thing. You know, it, it, yeah, it let's, is. Let's and, treat and this like as a precursor idea. to yep. a, a broader dialogue. Let's, 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 let's get back on, on the, the schedule for a, a, a unpacking of what that is. I, I see the parallels you're making there, and I see the power of what you're talking about, being able to leverage a, a collective voice. Mm-hmm. And I think that deserves its own episode uh, yeah. in tandem. So let's get that on the calendar. But, uh, man, I appreciate – I know we got a really late start here, and so I want to be respectful of your time as, yeah. as and, and, and make sure that – God – there was so much in that episode that was great. Like I, I've been thinking this whole time, like, what are we going to title this episode? I have no earthly idea. And I just want to say <laughs> thanks for, for coming on because <laughs> I, I was, I, <laughs> I was expecting this to be just like a Florida centric podcast, but man, we just, we bounced from awesome topic to awesome topic. And I just want to say thanks for, on behalf of all the listeners, this is going to be fun to edit and I know they're going to enjoy it. Thank you. Florida, Thank you again for having me. The Florida fellas are, uh, they're just, polishing off that chip that's on their shoulder after yeah, the episode. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> All right, guys, that's going to be it. John, again, thanks for coming on the show. Man, so much good stuff in that episode. Make sure, guys, that you go to howforwildlife.org to get involved. Is that correct, John? That Did I get is it right? correct. You got it. Thank you. That's what I'm talking about. You guys, we'll talk to you next week. Hey, guys, thanks for checking out the show. Really appreciate you. Keep those reviews and those comments coming. Helps us keep this free. 
do me a favor, go check out Phoenix Shooting Bags. Use promo code John Stallone to save 20%, all one word, and check out Howl for Wildlife. Thank you very much, and we'll catch you on the next show.